Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. In full spectrum light, there is never any blue light without red. So red sort of protects us from the blue that exists. So it's all built in protection. There is never anything that's going to be damaging to us. Hey there, before we get started on this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that I'm curating a small group mastermind of private practice health professionals in integrative and functional medicine to review case studies, protocols, timelines, and expected results to overcome different conditions and symptoms the mastermind members are most interested in. So this might be a good fit for you if you're interested in sharing strategies and ideas with like-minded professionals. You don't have time to take another course where your case questions may or may not be answered. You're looking for tried and true protocol approaches from practitioners that have tested them for efficient results. You're interested in improving or streamlining your client onboarding and client support process. You're looking for real examples of and reasons test results and interventions are chosen and the outcomes. You're interested in these niches or topics, digestive and gut health, skin health, autoimmune conditions, nutrient deficiencies, women's health and hormones, food reactions, and a little bit about genetics. It's also a good fit for you if you have a virtual practice or you're familiar with those private practice electronic health records like Practice Better Healthy, Calyx, and online supplement dispensaries. Now, this may not be a good fit for you if you're looking for support with just insurance reimbursement and licensing options. You have a scarcity mindset. You don't currently see clients or patients as part of your job, and you don't have a plan or you do not currently have a private practice or if you're unable to order any functional lab testing. But if it is a great fit, or if it does sound like something you're interested in, then I invite you to send me a message so we can discuss it further. Right now we're planning to do a spring, I think it's spring and fall session. So it would start mid to end May, and it would be a weekly meeting for six weeks. This is highly dependent on the needs and the preferences of the participants. So this is subject to change based on who is selected and who is in the mastermind. But Each week, we'll have a specific case study topic chosen by participants, and then a thorough intake form will be done to ensure that we're really accelerating everyone's goals. So if it's of interest to you whatsoever, even if you're hearing this much later, you can still send me a message to hello at kristabigler.com or hello at lessstressedlife.com. It should be actually linked in the show notes as well. You can do that. You can tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do and why you think 
this is a good fit for you. And then if it seems like a good fit for the group, I'll send you a link to book a call on my schedule. And remember, there's a spring session and a fall session. But regardless of when you might be interested, send an email so we have a little bit of an idea on who is interested. We will allow you to be scheduled first. Thanks so much. Now back to Light and Health. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, today on The Less Stress Life, we have Jenna S. Griffith, who is someone I met at some conferences this fall, and she has worked in the nutrition field for almost 15 years, but was inspired to redirect her career path and return to school after transforming her own health by going back to school and doing and studying integrative and functional nutrition. She's currently the director of nutrition for Culpeper Wellness Foundation and Powell Wellness Center, the top-ranking medical wellness center in Virginia. She's been the lead nutrition instructor in Charlottesville Community Education for the last 10 years and maintains a small private practice specializing in digestive health and chronic pain. She has certifications from the psychology of eating, integrative nutrition, and uses food and nature as a doorway to improve the mind, body, and spirit. So Jenna and I met at a conference this fall, and we were chatting. She was showing us all how to change our phone settings so that way when you're looking at them late in the day, you can change the screen color to red. So it's not like you'd be surprised if you're like laying in bed and you're looking at this red screen, even though it's kind of ugly, your eyes do not hurt or strain like they would at a normal one. So anyway, I got very intrigued by this, and here we are in a whole month of the podcast talking all about how light affects health. And I've invited Jenna S. Griffith. So she's going to talk to us all about the science here. Welcome, Jenna. Well, thank you. Yeah, happy to talk about this topic, which is very dense. But yes, I'm hoping to give you some light and information for sure. Yeah. Well, if we can kind of laugh and have analogies, we can handle dense topics, but it is, <laughs> it's exciting sort of because it's these things that we take for granted so frequently, right? About light. So actually what I'd love to know is how did you decide, oh, I'm going to like nerd out on things related to light and health? Like tell me a story about how this sort of happened or like where you came across this and you decided, oh, this is really interesting. I'd like to know more about this. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I'm a second career dietitian. My first degree was in journalism. You know, that's natural curiosity, natural inclination just to dive deep into things. But around 2015, I just had a health challenge and I dove really deep into minerals and I became sort of obsessed with magnesium. And so after just diving deep with magnesium and understanding, you know, all the mechanisms and realizing that it has receptors or different proteins have like 2,751 receptors for magnesium, I just thought, wow, like this is sort of under the radar. I think we don't even really get how important magnesium is. And then that sort of led me to vitamin D and that led me to the sun. And then I had my own health challenges with eyes. I've always had some weird eye issues from birth. So I started just experimenting with the sun, just getting more morning sun. Then I decreased my myopia. So I'm less nearsighted than I was. And I was having dry eye and all these common afflictions that seem to be happening to everyone, you know, with all the devices that we're on all the time. And then I got even deeper and I got into the work of Dr. Jack Cruz, who is a somewhat controversial neurologist, dove deep into lots of the studies that he had sort of accumulated, which then led me to the book called Health and Light by John Ott. And 
John Ott was actually a time-lapse photographer. And he started realizing when he had to build glass houses to put his plants inside of so he can get the right effects, um, he was realizing that the glass cut out the UV light and that it was detrimental to his plants. And so that's how he sort of went down the whole light, you know, research hole. And his book was really fascinating. So, I mean, for anyone wanting to even just get a glimpse into where this all started, like it really started with him, you know, bringing this all to the surface. So that was a perfect, I love that actually. I loved the timeline that you gave. I feel like I really would have liked to stop and say, can we go talk about all these other topics now? But maybe- Yeah, there's, there's so many, right? Just even- with vitamin D in the sun, right? That's a whole other podcast. I mean, Mm. just really understanding, you know, what we're doing, what are we missing, right? Uh, For sure. Well, I think we're going to want to know some of the things that you did to decrease the myopia. And maybe you should tell people, what is myopia? Just nearsightedness, Mm -hmm. just can't see far. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you want me to go through the whole, you know, what morning light provides, right? What what we're missing, this should be a front page news, right? Totally. So this, the stuff that we, so- we forget to do because we don't go look at the sun, right? So take it away. Right. So yeah, we're sort of living a mismatch, right? I mean, this is not how we evolved to live as human beings. Uh, so in a sense, we're trying to make our modern lives work. You know, we're living indoors 90 to 99% of the time. And, you know, we're not getting all the messages from the sun that we have been programmed and developed and, you know, biologically entrained to get. So we're not getting that. So what should be happening is that we should be in the morning sun. And this is the first thing that I did. So because in the morning sun, when the sun rises within 30 minutes or an hour of sunrise, there is no UVA light, right? So I just want to take a step back and just tell you one thing about why we've been told to fear the sun and where this comes from, because I think that's just really mm-hmm. important before I go through the whole process and the mechanism. Right. So there was a study in the 50s, I believe it was in the 50s, that they did on anesthetized animals. And so there are three bands of UV light. There is UVA, UVB, and UVC. So UVC, there's less known about UVC. It is present in sunlight. It is the shortest wavelength, and it's known to damage living tissues. But what they did with this UV light is they held open the eyes of these animals and shone the light intensely into their eyes, and they damaged their retinas. And so from then on, it was known that UV light is to be feared. UV light is dangerous. And apparently that stuck for a very long time. So that's the only study that I can find that told people this should be something to fear. So what about sun and like skin cancer? Right. Yeah. And so even that is not proving to be true. Right. So, well, sun is causing cancer, but it's the way we use it. It's the way we use the sun. Mm. So we can start there, too. Most people use the sun. You know, they miss the morning sun and they just go out into the afternoon sun. They get burned and different things happen. Right. And it causes melanoma and other things. But, you know, there are many, many studies coming out now that says all-cause mortality is actually increased when we stay out of the sun. So, you know, so there's all that research coming out. In terms of how we should be using the sun, we should be getting out in the morning because when we get out in the morning sun, it actually increases what's called our solar callus, right? Which is literally a callus. And there are several mechanisms for that, but we never miss, we never get that morning sun, which also prepares our body for the UV light later. So our skin has melanin, so that is a UV protector. 
you know, plus, of course, diet, right? My background is nutrition. So diet, of course, you know, there are ways that we can protect from the inside, right? Antioxidants and all those things. And then there's another mechanism that's sort of created by the infrared and red light in the morning sun. And that is through a protein called filigrin, which has the amino acid histidine, which creates a substance called uraconic acid. And this also protects the skin from the UV light, right? So I feel like there's even more that we don't know, but these are just a few mechanisms. So the point being, if we get morning sun more often, it sort of prepares and protects you for the UV light later. And we're not getting that benefit. Oh, that is so interesting. I actually kind of want to reiterate it because it was heavy, but in a great way. So if you get that morning sun and it increases that solar callus, the skin has this melanin to receive that. But the mechanism also is that of melanin. We're increasing through that melanin, I believe, filigrin. This is actually comes up in eczema research because they're like, oh, is it the filigrin that's the problem? And I mean, it's really like a 50-50 thing. So we increase this filigrin, which is like basically skin structure, essentially. And so anyway, repeat a little bit for me. Sure. So really three different things, right, that I'm talking about. One is the obvious about, you know, blocking from the inside out and all the protection that we can get from, you know, the foods that we eat and the practices that we keep. Then um, the infrared and red light from the morning sun builds our solar callus, right? So Melanin absorbs the light, right, and is therefore a UV protector. So that's one mm. separate mechanism. So darker skin, ex- darker skin, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it protects. And then a whole other mechanism is that it increases the protein filigrin, you know, which has the amino acid histidine, and then the uraconic acid is the thing that protects us from the UV light. So I guess it's three or four things. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So we're basically blocking from the inside out. Like we can do some things from the inside, what we consume. Then we've got the red light coming from the sun. And then that helps absorb the light that helps protect, like create the mechanisms in the skin that create more protection. It's like your own, it's like your homemade sunblock. Right. Exactly. It's just that we evolved to be outside, right? It's not that we should be outside every single second and having the sun beat down on us, but we evolved to be out when the sun is rising. And so we wouldn't have to actually break this down scientifically, right? We would just naturally get this protection because we were out in the sun and we wouldn't burn later. And so because we've had this protection, we've had the solar callus being built up, we've had all that innate protection without having to think about it, right? We wouldn't be sleeping till 11 or 12 or being inside and then going out and getting the sun and saying, see here, UV light is dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's how we're using it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Interesting. Okay, got it. So we've now talked about morning light and its importance for protecting us throughout the rest of the day. But let's also talk about how it affects some other areas. So that's like good, like essential beginning, the beginning stage there. Like how does your body make its own sunblock essentially (laughs) for the more damaging rays by looking in the morning? But what other things in our biology are affected by the cycles or the solar times of the sun? Like what, and if we're not seeing it in the morning, what downstream effects are we doing to our hormones and metabolism and all that stuff? So two things. So the first part is, so what does morning sun provide? Okay. So if we're out within an hour, preferably a half hour of sunrise, what happens is it stimulates hormones and different neurotransmitter production. And so primarily like we think go crazy, right, with the science. But basically it programs 
two amino acids. One is tyrosine, right? And the other is tryptophan. So tyrosine is responsible for dopamine, right? So the reward, motivation, pleasure, like focus, all that stuff are resilient. So we're not going to get that. We don't get the morning sun. So the other side of that is the tryptophan. And so tryptophan is the precursor for serotonin and melatonin. Mm. So if we're not being out in the morning sun, then we're missing our body's ability to build the stores of these hormones. And one thing that's super important in that is everybody thinks, well, melatonin, which is the hormone of darkness, right? That it only comes out at night or it's only made at night. It's just important to know that in the morning, that's when it's actually built. That's when it's actually developed. So it's not released later, but it's made in from the morning sun. If you want more melatonin, then you have to get out in the morning sun to create it so it can help you later in the day. That's one point. And also, again, we know melatonin as the hormone of darkness, but it is a master antioxidant. It is important in, you know, mitochondrial function. It helps regulate metabolism. It even has a hand in regulating calcium homeostasis. So it's not just, you know, about darkness and sleep. So yeah, super important. And also Doug Wallace, I'm not sure what year he got the Nobel Prize in science. I think it was 2017 and it was for his work in mitochondrial health. And he discovered that melatonin controls apoptosis and autophagy in mitochondria. Again, like melatonin is so hugely important to our health. And, you know, most of us are missing it. This is why we have, you know, a massive sleep epidemic in all over the world practically. So these are the things that we're missing. Does yeah. that make sense? So no, far? it makes a lot okay. of sense. I'm going to reiterate it a little bit because okay. it's good. You're telling us how you're an expert in many areas because sometimes I think oh, I should just do a podcast episode on like how cool vitamin D is because it's like a hormone and a nutrient. And in the same way, melatonin, we think about it being this sleep thing, but it's also like a master antioxidant it protects like egg quality and does metabolism regulation. And you were talking about mitochondria. So this is essentially the brains in the cells and the difference between a young person's cells and an old person's cells is really mitochondria. And when we lose mitochondria, then we've got neurodegenerative diseases. But on a much lighter note, it may look like fatigue or just general chronic disease when mitochondria is not healthy. So when you're talking about apoptosis and autophagy, essentially, you're talking about the body's natural cleanup process of like cleaning out disease cells. So we don't continue to have those kind of replicating essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So we think about melatonin being that dark thing. But anyway, go ahead. What would you add to that? The only thing I would add is that according to Wallace, mitochondrial dysfunction is the core of every chronic disease that we have today. Mm. So if we're missing melatonin, you know, which is so primary in mitochondrial function, then it's almost like we're trying to survive this life, you know, this modern life, yet, you know, we're missing all of these natural messages. We're trying to make it work now. So, you know, we turn to all these supplements, we turn to, you know, all these hacks, right? Because we just are trying to figure out how to make our modern life work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that lends a great question. What would you say if someone says, oh, should I just go take melatonin then? Right, right. Of course. And that begs the question. So no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so here's the thing. For some people, that might be the only thing to do. And then that has to be guided by a practitioner and you have to be super careful. And people overdo the supplementing of the melatonin, you know, because that's how we work. You know, 70 billion people take supplements. I mean, there are so many supplements without guidance out there. So if I had to take melatonin, first of all, I would try to 
open people's eyes, no pun intended, to get them outside more often, even if it's five minutes in the morning, Mm. even five or 10 minutes, because these have like quantum effects, meaning like even the smallest effect, even the smallest practice will have huge effects on their biology. So I would try to get people to do that first, of course. And then, you know, we haven't gotten to the night and blocking the blue light um, and what that means. But (laughs) So busy talking about the daytime. Right? (laughs) So busy. Silly us. But yeah, I would also have them do that too to protect their melatonin. So you have to create your melatonin and you have to protect it, right? But people want to just take melatonin. They're never going to go out in the sun and that's their life, right? I mean, then, yeah, probably a very small dosage, like, you know, 0.2 or 0.3 milligrams I'd start off with. You know, maybe two hours after a meal or an hour and a half before going to sleep. But some people are taking, you know, 10, 20, 30 milligrams. I mean, it's just, it's really difficult. And then there are downstream effects of that. We don't, there aren't many studies that have told us if it stops our own endogenous production of melatonin. I've looked for those. I haven't really found that. But I have found that it affects our thyroid. It might shut down the thyroid if you start taking high doses, right? I mean, so I'm sure there are more effects that we just don't know about. Well, so that's you, what I would say. You have to day. wonder if it does shut down your own production a bit just because of the way what happens is when people are on it long term, they seem to plateau, right? And then they don't it's right. like, oh, that doesn't work and I need to take more. You know, it's like we're shutting something off and now we just have to keep increasing it. So it becomes this dependent thing that's not a good thing because it's not how we. Right. I mean, I, I'm a fan of using it if needed, short term, however, if needed. But the thought is that that's, you know, we're trying not to do more damage than good, right? We want your body to normally do things as it's supposed to help it do it on its own properly. Yeah, exactly. So say you get the morning sun, right? So this is just the morning sun, Mm -hmm. right? We haven't even gotten to when the ultraviolet comes out. So that's what I'll get to next. All right. So depending on where you are in the world, then UVA light comes out. And that could be maybe 30 minutes after sunrise or three hours after sunrise. Like for me here in Virginia, it's about 9.30, 10 a.m. right now when UV light comes out. By the way, how I know that is there's a good app, of course, there's a good app for everything called D-Minder. And so that just shows you when UV light is present. Is and it D-Minder or, or? D as in, D as in David. Okay, D-Minder. Yeah, D-Minder. So yeah, that's something that I have, whether it's okay for quantifying your D amounts, I'm not so sure, but still, I like it because it tells me based on my latitude and based on where I am you know, what's happening. Oh, you know, that's where the purpose. <laughs> that makes more sense. I was yeah. like, okay, why is it called this? It's so you can figure out if you're getting your vitamin D. Cool. I like the exactly. concept, but this is what it tells you. It tells you when the different types of light are coming out, essentially. So before, exactly. it's like early morning to see the morning sun, not 9am. Yes, probably, right? And it depends on the time of the year, obviously. Yeah, it depends on the time of the year and where you are and all that stuff. I mean, sometimes, you know, UV light comes out super early. Sometimes it's later. It depends, right? Well, you may have said this, but does the morning light have a name? (laughs) Morning light? (laughs) Not really. It's just morning light. Well, it has all the frequencies, all the spectrums Uh, in morning. Full spectrum. Like everything you could want. Yeah, it has full spectrum light. Thank you. So it has green and red and blue and infrared and all of that. And now there is infrared all throughout the day. And this is the other important thing. So it has green which enables our photoreceptors in our eyes to actually see. 
and then it has red and blue. And those are the most important ones for our discussion. So red, which, you know, we all know about infrared light and red light, the whole photobiomodulation, and I know you'll do another podcast on that, but you know, red light is incredibly healing. And blue light is also important too, which I'll get to. But understand in full spectrum light, there is never any blue light without red. So red sort of protects us from the blue that exists. So it's all built in protection. There's never anything that's going to be damaging to us. I mean, that's just an important point to remember when I get to what comes out during the mm-hmm. course of the day. Mm-hmm. So in the morning, yes, you're getting the full spectrum sunlight. And to be clear, we've got our full spectrum light from the sun, which is like, it's free. So we should use that. But if people needed it because they have to go to work before daylight and it's like they don't see a way around it, there are technically things you can buy that simulate full spectrum light. Like that would not be the default, right? But would you say that that is something people could use as they try to work toward this? Like they can buy it? Yeah, I think there's a transition, right? There's a continuum. I think there are other things that people can do before actually buying. But yeah, I mean, certainly that's an option. But you can actually crack your windows on the way to work. You can Mm -hmm. go outside for five minutes. When you're at work, go outside for five minutes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter if it's overcast, just as long as you have, you know, that amount of light hitting your eyes in some regard. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is, which is good, I didn't even say this, is that the light goes through your retinas into your brain and specifically into the hypothalamus. And in the hypothalamus is the supra chiasmatic nucleus, mm-hmm. right? So the SCN, and that alerts the pineal gland to release all these hormones. So like that is the pathway. That's what's actually happening in the morning. So it's really important, you know, people who wear contacts, people who wear sunglasses and glasses and all these things in the morning, they're not getting those benefits. So I always tell people, one, open your windows, you know, if you're driving to work, Take off your glasses if you walk outside, sunglasses and regular glasses. Mm, So, yeah, and people with contacts, that's not really great. Okay. Okay. Good. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. So then we get to, like I said, the UVA light comes out, ultraviolet A. At that point, it stops the hormone cascade, right? So it turns off the melatonin production and things like that. So important, right? And cortisol increases and UV light is present and it's still important, but it's the most important thing about UVA coming out is that it just stops the hormones from being produced, the ones that the morning light created. Mm -hmm. So again, we're often missing that signal too, that transition, right? From full spectrum light to UV light coming out, we're often missing that. We're often missing that signal that says, okay, stop making all these things. Maybe that's why people are tired in the middle of the day, right? Like everything is off. We're not getting those signals. So that's UVA. All right. Then soon after that, UVB comes out. Now UVB signals the vitamin D receptors. Okay. So Again, super important, right? We need vitamin D for all the things that we've been told about in the media. Ad nauseum, right? Especially now with our immune system, right? Melatonin, vitamin D, all that stuff. D-Minder says that the sun has to be 30 degrees at a 30 degree angle in order for you to receive vitamin D. But um, most other reputable sources say 50 degrees. D-Minder says, you know, I'm making vitamin D like at 35 degrees. So, I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, I'll assume I am. (laughs) So UVB is responsible for making vitamin D. So, again, also that's super important. And we're missing that as well, the UVB. Mm -hmm. So that's like midday, essentially? Yeah, that's a little before midday, I would say. You know, that's maybe 10, 30, 11-ish. 
Um, So, I mean, those are the important things about, you know, sunlight. And then the last piece of that really is sunset. So at sunset, you know, I often tell people like in the priority line of what to do first, certainly get the morning sun. That's number one, you know, try to get out for the transition. And then the last is try to get out at sunset because it just tells you that, you know, it's time for sleep. And that's when melatonin is released from the pineal gland. That's when it's actually released. That's when cortisol should be calming down, right? And melatonin comes out. Mm. Um, So in an ideal world, right, we'd all be, you know, living with candlelight and going to sleep soon after the sun sets and everything would be perfect, right? And utopian Mm. and everything. And that's just not going to happen, right? And so people say, well, what do you suggest? And so, because what's happening is, we have artificial light, right? So mm-hmm. as of whatever, like a hundred years now, we have the light bulb in existence. So we have like three, four more hours of light added to our days, right? Which is, I don't know, I didn't do the math, maybe 1500 extra hours per year or something. So, mm-hmm. and this is, you know, artificial light, which is only in the blue and green spectrum, mostly, which tells us that it's sort of noon in the middle of the day. So this is really instrumental for our biology and what it's telling us. So it's telling us, hey, keep your cortisol very high. Don't release any melatonin and stay awake. So I think the lights today, the artificial lights, the LEDs especially, they inhibit melatonin like up to 80%. That's a huge number. Then there are all these different light bulbs. I mean, it started with incandescent. That probably matches sunlight the most in terms of the Is that like a regular and- light bulb just for us you know not necessarily I, I always would I would joke for a while my husband's kind of like an art a connoisseur of LED light bulbs he was like testing them all to see which ones we liked the best but incandescent that's just like the regular light bulb correct you'd never know I was the daughter well- of an electrician <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I mean incandescent they're sold more for decorative purposes mm. on the internet now. But I mean, it depends, right? There's a transition and there's a spectrum of what people are willing to do. I mean, there are many people who are just putting, you know, red light bulbs and orange light bulbs in their house at night. And that's what they're using. Other people are, you know, doing nothing, of course. Then other people still use blue light blocking glasses, which I always found interesting because it's not just blocking blue, it's blocking green also. But they're Blue light blocking glasses is easier to say. So, or we're just blocking that light because everybody else in the family thinks you're crazy when you wear your blue blocking glasses, right? <laughs> yeah, because they have but to they're be all amber. Having we, they have to be amber, as we've learned on the podcast. Yes, yeah. yeah, it has to be amber. And so, when I first read this, I was like, "Oh, this sounds wild. And why don't people do this? And why don't we know this?" And you know, this is just a key piece of our environment, right? That could be affecting our health that we're not taking into consideration. Yeah, there's not a lot of so, money to be made here. So the education no, for it. No, and like people no. don't, I mean, you know, for information, telling people information that they, it's like, it's, I'm motivated by science always, you know, like, oh, tell me why I should do it. Okay, I, I'm there. I'm, I got, I'm there now. I'll do this. But, you know, this stuff gets lost. And so we're like, we just kind of think we can rise above <laughs> sometimes the natural order yeah. of how things are supposed to be. It's just, we all do it. It's just, yeah. we all kind of know why we don't talk about this because it's just, no one has a job to promote it, really, you know? So it's tricky. Yeah. But it's trendy, though. 
very trendy right now. I, oh, or, oh, it or, is. Yeah. Or if you're here, you are on the front edge of the trend. You know, you might hear about it more a little bit later. I mean, I feel like it anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know what happens if you actually pay attention and start believing something, then you actually have to make a change. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you have to do something with that information. So, I mean, that's why for me, you know, I had the advantage when I was first learning about this. I had more free time then. So I would just go outside for like half hour in the morning. And so that was great. And then I got the blue locking glasses and my sleep was transformed. And I would never consider myself, and again, this is just my experience, this is not science, it's just my anecdotal experience, but I would never consider myself a bad sleeper, but I noticed within the first two weeks of wearing them that I would get sleepier earlier and, you know, have no choice but to go to sleep. And now it's just like I have a confidence about sleep that I don't think I ever had before. Like I don't, you know, I don't ever think, oh, I'm not going to be able to sleep or you know, this is a problem or, I mean, it's just a whole different way to approach your day, right? When you know that you're going to sleep okay and you do, and you know, your functioning is just so much better. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to talk about this just a touch more because I'm dying to find out when you go to bed <laughs> and when you wake up, you know, I'm sure this is like, I'm just sitting here with my fingers tapping on my face, like, when does Jenna go to bed? But uh, I also think about, I love working on sleep, but I tend to think like, oh, it's this, this, this. And I love like adding new thoughts to the toolbox here. But don't right. you feel like as people age, sleep becomes more compromised? I think there's multiple reasons for this, but what are you thinking there? Yeah. So, of course, there's other things at play besides physiology, right? So, for sure, as we age, melatonin decreases. Our ability to even make it decreases, all of that. And I feel like now we are besieged with so much information at all times. We have, you know, it's not just, it's chemical information, it's nutritional information, it's all these things that it's super hard to just shut off, no matter what. You know, I sleep well, I'd say 95% of the time. And other times if I don't, it's because I can't shut off because there are other things going on. Or if I know I have to do a lot of work that night, then I might put on the glasses later, right? So once you get into this, you can sort of, you know, play with it, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, on days that I'm home and I don't have a lot of work to do at night, which seems to be rare, but then I'll put them on, you know, maybe seven, eight o'clock. And now I don't feel like super sleepy. I just know that I'm being protected, right? That my melatonin is being protected. And then I just get naturally sleepy and maybe I go to bed anywhere from 10 to 1130. It really depends. And then there are other nights where if I'm out or something, I don't always wear my glasses or, you know, there are different degrees of glasses, right? Like Andy, I'm sure discussed with you. And those are the glasses I use. I use blue blocks, Mm -hmm. but anybody can get these. Anybody can try this. You can get a pair of $10 UVEX glasses online. It's super cheap and just see what they do for you. Mm -hmm. So they're clunky. They're not as comfortable, but you know, I encourage people to be skeptics because you just don't know these things until you try for yourself. Right. Right. I love Um, it. Jenna, we talked about this to an extent. We talked about creating melatonin, but not as much about protecting melatonin a ton. We talked about like looking at the sunset and how the melatonin is released from the pineal gland at that time. Can you explain to us the mechanism of how melatonin is degraded by blue light? Yes, perfect. So the other important name that we should know besides melatonin is melanopsin. So melanopsin is a third receptor. So we've always known since 
probably seventh grade biology, hopefully, that in the eyes we have rods and cones, right? And they are the main photoreceptors. Like the rods detect dim light and cones detect color. But in 1998, they discovered melanopsin, which is super important for circadian rhythm alignment. So it turns out that melanopsin is the blue light detector that truly sets the circadian rhythm. So when light enters the eye directly, it activates melanopsin. And then through action potentials, I don't know if we all remember that, but basically electrically, it sort of goes through to the pineal gland and inhibits melatonin release. So melanopsin, right? So 1998, super important. Then what they discovered that besides being in the eyes in 2017, they discovered and suspected really that it was in the skin. So it's also in the skin, the blood vessels and subcutaneous fat. So that has massive implications because that means one, if we expose to blue light at night, that it's also affecting and getting through and creating dysfunction and inflammation like through our skin. And also, so how that breaks down, which is even more, you know, a little bit more physics and chemistry is that all opsins like melanopsin are vitamin A based, right? So Mm. the bond between retinol, vitamin A and melanopsin, and it's a very weak covalent bond and it's easily broken by too much blue light. So basically there's melanopsin dysfunction, right? So what happens is as a result of that, you know, there are downstream effects. Then you have like sort of free floating or decreasing A, and then you have circadian disruption and lower dopamine and potential depression. And then if you think about it even more widely, the amount of A, you know, has a very important relationship with D, right? So what's happening with that? We don't know. So it definitely has downstream effects. And then if you want to take it even one step further, so think about thyroid and all the issues that people are having with thyroid health, you know, from Hashimoto's to hypo to hyper, the thyroid's only a few millimeters under the skin. So, you know, it's going to be vulnerable to blue light, right? Mm -hmm. So then you start thinking, well, maybe, you know, that's creating some dysfunction there and inflammation. So that's why some people, you know, take this really far and wear scarves at night. Some people wear hoods at night, even though as if, you know, the glasses don't make you look crazy enough. But, you know, lots of people are doing this. So the true biohackers, I, I believe the true biohackers, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're wearing hoods and scarves and things like Cause that. Because I actually don't sure. know these people, but I guess it's because I'm so remote. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think it's very interesting. And I think there's just so much coming out now. And I think we'll see how this affects us even more down the road. I mean, it was always suspected that it was in the skin also. But now that it's definitely discovered and it's there, yeah, I think the implications for this down the line are going to be pretty massive. Yeah. So to recap, you were talking earlier about blue light increasing cortisol, which is a problem when we constantly have that increased. But the melanopsin was discovered in 1998, as you said, but then most recently it was discovered in the skin in 2017. So the melanopsin is the photoreceptor that's tied to vitamin A. So if there's too much blue light, that bond breaks, causes light circadian disruptions, the light and day distinction, lower dopamine, which does what? And lower vitamin D. So lower dopamine is a calming neurotransmitter? Yeah. I mean, dopamine, 
right, responsible for, you know, pleasure, reward, motivation, emotional resilience, all that stuff, right? I mean, and then without dopamine, we don't get epinephrine, norepinephrine. So, I mean, it just affects, you know, lots of things in our brain chemistry, our biochemistry, and, you know, who we are, how we are, you know, I think it would be interesting to see, you know, many people who are now seeing what it's like to live without any artificial light. And I know that's extreme, but, you know, they're noticing like massive increases in health. I mean, I know, even though it's anecdotal, I do know of one person who has totally reversed her myopia, right? Her nearsightedness. I've improved mine. I already said that. But other things have improved also, even in terms of weight loss and other manifestations of inflammation, right? I always mm -hmm. have to say inflammation, by the way, every single presentation, every single interview, <laughs> because like, right, that's like the most important word. But yeah, I think there's just so many repercussions and so many possible ways we can increase our health when we know this information and then apply it in some way. Right. Cool. So one more thing. You we talked about UVA light in the earlier morning and UVB in a little bit little bit after that. UVC though, when was that? Where does that come in? Yeah, don't know much about UVC. I know that it is known to damage living tissue, but there is not much known about it, honestly. So mm -hmm. so that's yeah. That's okay. all that's all I really know about UVC. I know that it can be damaging. I know that it does exist. No you know, and, and again, this is not to say that we should all be sun worshiping, right? I mean, there has to be, you know, some intelligence with its use also. There are people in the whole sun world who believe that sun and light is what determines our health, like full on, 100%, like food has no place and all these other things. Of course, I really take that stance. Mm -hmm. It's a compilation. And I think those people, yeah, exactly. I think sometimes people are trying to make their point and trying to be heard. So they say sort of vague, bold statements like that. So we'll pay attention. Say, hey, you know, this matters. Your environment matters. The sun matters. But there is also something to be said, and this is a whole other rabbit hole, for people who get too much ultraviolet light on their skin, who have high amounts of polyunsaturated fatty acids and this contributes to what people call liver spots and lipofuscin and things like that. So there is a downside, right? You know, we've had, I don't know, since World War II, we've had our food supply, you know, infiltrated with all of these polyunsaturated fatty acids, like mm -hmm. the canolas and the corn and the soy and all these things. And that doesn't really mix well with UV light. So, I mean, it just heats everything up, mm -hmm. right? And it causes problems. Mm -hmm. So, it has to be an equals one. It has to be personalized. It has to be all those things, right? It's not just like, okay, everybody go outside and spend, you know, 12 hours in the sun all day. There has to be, you know, some intelligence too. Yeah. And not necessary. We don't have to like go all, like we're just saying go right. outside in the morning for a minute or two or five. Right. Um, and I mean, you can do this like if you have chickens or if you have a dog or whatever, like if you're looking for something to, or if you like to garden or whatever, like we can come up with solutions or like things that we can attach this to, to make it happen a little bit easier too. And you mentioned right. in the line of priority, get out in the morning and then for that morning sun, and then also get out for sunset, like start there. You just need yeah. like two minutes per day. Like I think you can find, I think we can all do that experiment for a week and see where we are. You know, Jenna, you said yeah. you wanted to be really timely. So you included in your outline, like how this ties into the coronavirus <laughs> and the melatonin connection. I'm curious to see what you have to say about that. Okay. Before that, I would say five minutes. I wouldn't say two minutes. I would say okay, at minutes. least five in the morning. Yeah. 
try it at least five minutes and then go outside five or 10 minutes in the afternoon and then watch the sunset. So I would say that right first, but yeah, so like this of course plays into our immune system. Right. And so what I found super interesting was that at least initially many children weren't getting this and pregnant women. And what's true about both of those populations is that they have very high melatonin levels. There's a study that shows that pregnant women have three times the amount of melatonin in the third trimester compared to the first. Mm. That's pretty interesting and very protective, right? And then children just naturally have more, right? Just innately because they're young and they have everything. So (laughs) I thought that was really interesting. Um, And also because you know, we live in a blue light toxic environment. We all are under lights at some point, most of us. I mean, you and I both live in the country, but, you know, most people are going to offices and living under artificial light when our world is getting more lit. And so everyone has lowered melatonin. I'm not saying, you know, I think it's so many more factors at play here with the coronavirus that people aren't considering. And it has to be the virus. When we have honestly poisoned air, water, light, you know, food, our psyche has been hurt. And then, you know, we add in any wireless radiation, which is also considered, you know, a non-native EMF, right? So blue light is considered a non-native electromagnetic frequency. Basically, that's an artificial frequency, you know, added that might have biological effects. So we have sort of like this soup that we're living in, That is not contributing to health, right? So definitely the blue light and the light part of it is that it has decreased our melatonin, which is, you know, the super antioxidant, which is so crucial for our immunity. And so no doubt that's having a hand in who is more susceptible and who isn't. Yeah. Jenna, I just loved learning so much about the science behind light in different parts of the day and kind of like stepping back as well and looking at the big picture. I really can't wait for you to come back and talk about magnesium and vitamin D sometime. But tell me how people can find you online. Yeah, sure. So I'm on Instagram at Jenna G-R-D, and that's J-E-N-A-G-E-E dot R-D. I'm on Facebook with my full long name, Jenna Savatsky Griffith, and I put up a lot of studies and things there. I have no website at this time because I'm just switching everything over, and that's it for me, really. And then, of course, email is Jenna's, and that's J-E-N-A-S underscore mailbox at yahoo.com. Jenna, thank you so much for coming on and chatting about this. And I know we'll have you back soon. Yes, I know there's so much, right? There's <laughs> even more. Yeah, even sure. more for sure. Okay. Thanks. Yes. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the 
the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 